following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. There is no future without forgiveness. So argued Archbishop Desmond Tutu in his 2010 book of that title, there is no future without forgiveness. Writing from his lived experience in South Africa, including the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which sought to bring healing out of the decades of harm of apartheid, Tutu maintained that healing our relationships, both interpersonally and as a society, healing our relationships demands that we neither deny the past nor ignore the pain of the present, but that we rediscover a practice of forgiveness a practice that has the power to move us forward. Forgiveness, as we know, is not forgetting. No, forgiveness is far more active and powerful than that. Forgiveness is the courage to acknowledge the very real evils that we inflict upon one another while also and always maintaining hope. Forgiveness moves us forward with honesty and compassion to build a more beloved world. And so at least we can say that without forgiveness, there is no future as God intends. That is why the invitation to receive and the imperative to offer forgiveness is so absolutely crucial and essential to our Christian faith and practice. Forgiveness is the very ground of our being. Forgiveness is the the fountain from which new life flows into a wounded and set-at-odds world. Jesus' forgiveness while hanging on the cross, forgiving the very ones who had put him there without requiring that they even acknowledge what they were doing, provides a challenge, a challenging and embodied summary of all of Jesus' teachings and life and commandments. We echo Jesus' command, this imperative to forgive whenever we pray together as we do every Sunday the Lord's Prayer given to us as the model for all our prayers. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We find that same command to forgive throughout the Gospels. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And throughout the whole New Testament, bear with one another or tolerate each other and forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also you must forgive each other. Always, consistently in Scripture, this command to forgive each other is rooted in the forgiveness that we already have received. In today's Gospel, Jesus uses hyperbole to respond to Peter's question about forgiveness, emphasizing through that use of hyperbole just how necessary the practice is. How many times should I forgive my sibling, Peter asks Jesus. Should I forgive as many as seven times? You can hear in that second question how generous Peter thinks he is being. A tradition at the time apparently taught that three times of forgiving another person should be plenty. But Peter has learned something of Jesus' generosity by this point in their time together, and so he tries to get out ahead of that generosity, suggesting a number that really should be absurd, more than twice the limit that they were taught. And yet even that is far too stingy for Jesus. 
There is just no outpacing God's generosity. It's not just seven times, Jesus says to Peter, but rather as many as 77 times, or 70 times seven times, depending on the English translation. But however we do the math, however we do the math, the point is Jesus won't give Peter a limit, an out. How many times is enough, Peter wants to know. It is never enough, Jesus says. There is no limit to our practice of forgiveness. And after all, the number of times isn't the point. By the end of today's reading, after the hard story of the unforgiving servant, Jesus points us towards something else, something more. We are to forgive each other, Jesus says, endlessly and from the heart. Forgiveness is not quantifiable. Forgiveness is qualitative. Forgiveness reveals the quality of our lives, the quality of our hearts, the integrity that we either do or do not bring to our relationships, both with God and with each other. And yet forgiveness also is hard, of course, and we're not always ready for it. In a wonderful study on the practice of forgiveness, author Marjorie Thompson suggests two main barriers that often prevent us from offering forgiveness. The first barrier, quite simply, is not wanting to. The truth is there can be some self-satisfaction, some self-justification in holding on to past hurts and resentments. Our egos enjoy a little complaining to ourselves and to others about how unjustly we think that we've been treated. We enjoy receiving others' sympathy, even feeling justified in our own bad behaviors, giving ourselves permission to hurt others because we have been hurt. The second barrier to offering forgiveness, according to Thompson, is wanting to, but not yet being able to. This, she writes, is a perfectly honest and reasonable response and may even be the healthiest response under some circumstances. For example, when that hurt still is being inflicted. In situations where persons have experienced repeated abuse, whether physical or emotional or otherwise, it may be in those circumstances healthier to release that relationship, at least for a season, rather than adding to the harm by trying to hold on. But whenever possible, whenever possible, forgiveness has the power to renew us and the power to set us free. Both the one who caused the harm and the one who has been harmed. It isn't easy. It can be very hard work, but it is imperative for ourselves and for this world God so loves. Forgiveness is a daily practice that we are always growing into, both life-giving and liberating. In fact, liberation is where our scriptures ground the practice of forgiveness. The Greek word used in today's gospel and throughout the whole New Testament translated into English as forgiveness means letting go or releasing, specifically from captivity or bondage of some sort. And so forgiveness, both receiving and offering forgiveness, is a practice of liberation, a practice that, that frees us, that releases us from those inner hurts that so often guide and determine our feelings and behaviors, that all too often cause us to act unkindly, even inhumanly, 
toward others and toward ourselves. Some of those hurts may be inflicted actively through words or actions. Other hurts come more passively, perhaps in a moment of of need or vulnerability when we have felt rejected or, or unappreciated or unperceived. When someone, for example, could have helped us, but, but instead passed us by. Either way, though, whether actively or passively inflicted, those hurts that we suffer, they find their way into our hearts, into our core, and they then become expressed and lived out as barriers between ourselves and others. To become more fully free, then, to be liberated from the hurts that we have suffered or inflicted, these barriers must be removed. Forgiveness is that practice, that active process by which we tear down those walls. One author has suggested three foundational principles to support this life-giving and liberating work of forgiveness, this movement toward healing and freedom. They're principles that can be a helpful starting point for us, I think, as we practice forgiveness over time. The first principle is believing that we are all part of a common humanity, that none of us, neither any individual nor any group, is superior to any other. Now that, of course, is a principle we might well all agree with rather easily in theory, but our actions, of course, often suggest that we don't really trust it. And so it bears repeating. It bears reminding ourselves, as the Apostle Paul does in the section we read today from his letter to the church in Rome, that we are different, as he writes, in myriad ways. We are different from one another, and yet we are all the same. We each have vulnerable hearts. We each have a need to love and and to be loved, to grow and to find our place and purpose in this world. Fears have been planted within each of us. There is some mixture of, of love and hatred in each of us. To begin the practice of forgiveness, we must acknowledge and then keep coming back to all that we hold in common. We must let go of our feelings, both of superiority and inferiority, remembering that each of us has hurt another and each of us has been hurt. To forgive, we must face those realities. To be human, we must acknowledge always that each of us is in God's image. That's the first principle, believing that we are all part of a common humanity. Principle two, to forgive means believing that each of us can evolve and change. In his wonderful book published in 2014, Just Mercy, author Brian Stevenson writes that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. And so we cannot lock people up in ready-made judgments or, or in the hurt that they have caused, no matter how terrible. Maybe that person hurt us, almost certainly they have hurt others too, and yet, and yet, always they are more than that hurt, just as we are more than the hurt that we have caused to others. Beyond any of that and, and before any of that, each of us is a beloved child of God. Each of us, a a whole person who, if loved and accompanied and trusted, can be helped to recognize our faults and our brokenness and can grow in our humanity in the image of Christ, to be more loving, to be more free versions of ourselves. 
By God's grace, this is foundational for us, right? By God's grace, every human can be redeemed. Finally then, principle three. Forgiveness is grounded in our common yearning for unity and peace. Whether acknowledged or not, that is true of each and every one of us. It's what Paul desires for the church in Rome through his teaching and encouragement. It's what Jesus is leading us toward through his example in in today's parable. The truth is none of us wants to live with broken relationships, with broken hearts, with a broken world. Each of us longs for healing and wholeness, reconciliation, peace, connection. And so we are in this work together. Those three principles then that we share a common humanity, that we're each capable of being changed, that we all long for healing. Those three principles can provide a foundation for us in growing in our practice of forgiveness. And of course, we can add here that all of it requires much patience. It takes time for us after we've been hurt to be liberated from that hurt. It takes time for us too after we've hurt others to change to be freed from the hurt we have caused. Although we didn't read it today, another story assigned to us by the Revised Common Lectionary from which we draw our readings every Sunday to be read in worship alongside today's readings from Matthew and from Romans is a familiar story for many of us of the Israelites escaping captivity in Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea. Now that pairing of readings is an interesting one and suggests for us that, among other interpretations, the Israelite story of liberation might be read as an allegory for our practice of forgiveness. Much like the Egyptian army chasing after the Israelites, so too our past hurts and resentments chased after us. And it may take a miracle, and then years of wandering in the wilderness, for us fully to be set free. Forgiveness. Liberation takes time. It takes patience and active practice. But forgiveness is essential. For there is no future worthy of the life God intends for us. There is no beloved community possible without forgiveness. How many times must we forgive? We wonder with Peter today. As many as it takes. As many as it takes until each of us is fully free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.com.